0: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio.
1: Final hour on this Thursday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. More of your phone calls. We're going to talk to uh, NHL Network, former NHL goaltender, Kevin Weeks, African-American who uh, wanted to come on, talk about Black Lives Matter and what it was like when he was playing goalie in the National Hockey League. I think he played 11 years for four or five teams. And uh, Kevin Weeks will join us Coming up in about 15 minutes. 877 3DP Show. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle with dp show. Adrian Wojnarowski laid out some details on NBA players who were hesitant about being quarantined in Orlando. I'm shocked that it's coming out now because it feels like we've had about 10 days where we were making progress. We had target dates, we had the playoffs when they'll start, how many teams are going to be involved felt like we had some things set in stone. At no point did I ever hear, there's some guys who aren't quite sure if they want to come back. But that's changed. Players are citing a number of concerns, according to Woj, including family situations, the inability to leave the Disney World Resort campus, the coronavirus, the implications surrounding the emergence of social justice causes in the country, This, according to sources, participants in Orlando, including players, will not be allowed to leave the bubble environment without a 10 day quarantine upon their return to the Disney grounds. Players with medical issues that might put them in high risk categories could seek an independent examination to learn whether they would be excused from participation. If you are not given that medical exemption, you don't get paid, but players who were on the teams that didn't qualify to go to Orlando do get paid. There's still a lot here, a lot to unpack. The NBA also is going to have a panel that looks at medical records. There's going to be privacy issues. Just feels like this isn't as buttoned up as we thought. And that's why when McLevin goes, who comes back first baseball or the NBA, And I immediately went, well, of course, the NBA. And then the more I thought of it is, it might be the NBA is going to come back after baseball. Yeah, McLovin.
2: But isn't this NBA schedule
1: supposed to be set? I mean... It is, it is. But I I still think baseball has a chance to get back before then. And the commissioner came out yesterday and said, guarantee it, 100%, we're going to have a baseball season. That means, worst case scenario... We have 50 games. When do you start 50 games? Are you going to be able to go all the way into August and then start? Because they want to be done by the end of October. They do not want to dip into November. They're worried about going against the NFL, and they're worried about a second wave of the coronavirus. These are things that they privately discuss, the owners have. If the commissioner comes in and bigfoots everybody and says, 50 games, let's go. Is everybody going to be rushing back? These players are not going to be accommodating with these owners. Just not going to be. And I wonder, can baseball get back in time? I still go back to what I mentioned a couple of months ago. I brought it up again in the first hour. And that is, it would be wonderful if baseball could come back. Maybe it's a kumbaya moment. But you have your all-star game to start your season. Kind of like Daytona starts NASCAR. The Daytona 500 starts NASCAR season. If you had an All-Star game and you just showcased your best players, reintroduce them to America. How about you hand out free tickets? You know, straight-A students, you, you know, can you can you have fans come back? There's no home, if, you know, home field advantage for the uh, World Series. Nothing nothing like that. Can you do something special? And, and I don't know what it is, but that's what I would hope baseball would do. And I was told baseball, this was a, a proposal that was on the table uh, a couple of months ago, July 4th, Los Angeles. And I was told specifically Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger would pick teams and they would have an all-star game. Can you do it? Would the players be willing to do it? That's the key. And right now, these players are not going to do anything more than what they're being paid to do. Hey, you want us to help with a home run derby? Nah. All-star game? Nah. You want us mic'd up? Nah. They're not going to do anything. Pace of play? Nah. And that's where it could get really ugly. You hope the product we see is representative of what baseball should be. And I don't know if it's going to be. All right. uh, Some phone calls here. Uh, Greg in Illinois joins us. Hi, Greg. What do you have for me?
3: Hey, Dan. Cody in Tennessee was uh, great. He was um, awesome i love I love how the type of car you get is equal to your importance to the university. It explains why I always had to ride my bike to class. <laughs> um, but a uh, quick question for you okay. do you think do you think there's a big enough name coach or program that could get caught that would cause the NCAA to change its rules like maybe Alabama football, for example.
1: Well, what do you mean by changing its rules?
3: Uh, just, just the type of, just sort of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on with the benefits that people are receiving. Maybe they find a way to make that more uh, in the clear.
1: I don't know how you do it. And, and, you know, with football, you have to go for three years. And thank you for the phone call, Greg. Always great to hear from you. Basketball, you're there for, what, six months, eight months? And then you're done. It's easier to have you almost like a turnstile. Come on in, here you go, here's your keys, here's your money, if that's the case. And not everybody gets that. But if you're going to do a football program, it's different. It's three years. You may be really highly recruited when you get there as a freshman. By the time you're a junior, you may be a backup. And if you're looking at pay scale and what can I give you, can I give you minimum wage here, there's always going to be outliers who are going to give somebody something more. And certainly that'll happen in college football. Basketball, if you take away the one and done, are you then going to go to the secondary stars, the guys who might be a three-star or maybe a four-star who will go for two years, and then you take care of them? Because you're still going to have value in college basketball. We may not have the marquee names, but you'll still have a, a good product on the floor. We just won't have the tune-in factor that you would normally have where tune in to see Zion Williamson. You know, it might be somebody who is a a good player, maybe a a really good high school player, and a good player in college. And you might have more balanced teams in college basketball because nobody's getting that star. Or you might get somebody who slips through the cracks and they stay two years, or they develop into a really good player. In basketball, it's almost like what I see when you get into college or your first year in the NBA. Like, that's who I'm looking at. That's who you are. Football, that's not the case. It feels like you're more of a finished product in basketball. Even though you're not, we see your greatness right away. You don't always see that with college football. You don't see that with baseball as well. But basketball, it's just a little bit different. I don't know if anything changes anytime soon, but I do find it interesting. All the people making money don't want players to make money. Everybody else gets to make it, not the players. Uh, we had Jay Billis on in the first hour. We've been talking about Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush yesterday was on the herd saying that uh, he wants his Heisman back, but more importantly, he wants younger players to understand what's going on. You know, times have changed since 2005 with Reggie Bush, and he brought down, or that scandal brought down the USC program, and they haven't recovered. But he's saying, I want to be able to help, you know, younger players see what I did. Uh, I don't think he's getting his Heisman back. The Heisman Trust has vacated that. They ask him to ship the Heisman back prepaid by the Heisman Trust. But um, here's uh, Jay Billis on uh, the Reggie Bush situation. Do you think Reggie Bush should get his Heisman trophy back?
2: Well, first of all uh yes i do but i don't i don't think they vacated i think he gave voluntarily gave it back and so he I didn't mean, voluntarily I him, I, give it back i think he did i think he gave it back to the, to the heisman trust uh i don't think they stripped him of it i think he gave it back but but i may be wrong there but but i will tell you that if i were in charge at usc i would retire his number immediately and i would put the heisman that they have uh, back in heritage hall. And I would put his number back, his Jersey back in heritage hall, where it was when this whole thing happened, because that whole thing was a travesty and it's not a question of whether his family took money down in San Diego or whatever. Uh, that was one of the uh, most corrupt investigations the NCAA has ever gone through. Um, Paul D the, yeah. uh, former athletic director of Miami was the chair of the committee. That was the, the harshest sanctions since SMU got the death penalty in 1980, 87, something like that. And, and a year later, Miami was in the crosshairs and Paul, Paul D said, well, I didn't know anything about it. I mean, it, it was the hypocrisy of the highest level. I, I've never seen anything like that.
1: That's Jay Billis first hour of the program on loan from the mothership. Yeah. Reggie Bush didn't pay back the money and uh, these agents went public and that, that created the storm. It brought everybody down, but Jay was wrong. He even followed up with Fritzie, saying, "Hey, you know, maybe I don't have all the information right." The Heisman uh, Trust—they stripped him, and they said we want the Heisman back. Reggie didn't voluntarily do it, and it took him a year to send it back. Yeah, Paul.
4: He he mentioned SMU football and how they got busted. You, You have to be really dumb to get busted in college athletics. And if you remember,
1: and SMU was dumb.
4: SMU was handing out cash payments to players. From letterhead, like, you know how they have, you have a, a stamp return address on an envelope, like a letterhead from a company? <laughs> it said SMU Athletic Football Department. And the envelope was handed to the kid. And one of the kids who wanted to protect himself kept one of his payments in the envelope. And it had a note. You had the schedule, everything like that, and had SMU athletic department office
1: <laughs> on a the thing. There's your paper trail. Hey, there it is.
4: <laughs> so they, they would add we can't find some blank envelopes, send someone to the Kinkos and get some blank envelopes. Office depot, get some blank envelopes. No, no, we'll go to Oh my God.
1: Uh Jordan in Seattle. Hi Jordan, what do you have for me? Hey 6'3", uh, six three
0: and a COVID two thirty. Yeah. Suck it back, Ro. Uh Hey, if your university or your college out there, if anybody's out there thinking that it's not happening, it is. I was a, a average Division II player uh, with a lot of guys with Division I talent on the team because they couldn't go D1 because the NCAA Clearinghouse wouldn't approve them because they'd be either grades or typically behavioral issues. So you see a lot of guys that are Division II teams with Division I talent. But, you know, even at a Division II school, I knew we had a revolving – drop top a m g that the captain got every year as the other guy left so every senior captain got the same drop top mercedes um uh convertible <laughs> essentially um and so it was revolving and everybody knew about it, and it was just kind of way it
3: was and did you get anything did, Jordan?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, I wasn't that good. I was just, I wasn't even allowed to dribble. If I caught it, I shot it. That was it. <laughs> um, but what I got, um, I was at a level, little things like, um, Hey, I see you have a new girlfriend. You have enough money to take her out. And it was never money. It was, here's a couple movie tickets and a gift certificate to a restaurant. Um, that was my level, right? When I knew I was in trouble was my junior year a uh, uh, coach recruited a shooting guard that all of a sudden had a new Harley Davidson. And that's when I
1: knew my playing time was done. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> he still sounds pained by that. Here's some movie tickets. Meanwhile, the guy who's coming in to take your job has got a Harley Davidson. I remember going to uh, I, it was late afternoon lunch, but I guess it was dinner and I went with basketball players and we went into this Italian restaurant And I just remember we sat down and I didn't order much because I didn't have any money. And these guys were ordering everything on the menu. And I went, damn, these guys are hungry. Well, we get done and I'm eating like a bird. Like I'm just nibbling on stuff. And I'm just like that check's coming. And I go, boy, if they, you know, if this is equaled by, you know, five guys or six guys, I think it was five guys that went. If they divvy it up, I'm in trouble here. Next thing I know, these guys go, you ready? I said, yeah, we got to pay. And they go, no, no, we don't pay. And it got up and left the restaurant. And I thought, wow, okay. That, that's, there's no paper trail. You went in there, you ate, and there was... Uh, I don't even know if these guys left a tip. Yeah, Todd.
0: How bummed were you
1: that you didn't just order oh. a whole bunch of stuff? You're sitting there, you must have been
4: starving when
0: you got Well,
1: have there. you ever been to dinner and then somebody decides to pick it up? After you've eaten. Oh, I could have had dessert. And no. then you go, well, if I hadn't known that, I would have ordered this steak. I ordered drafts. I would order a bottle of wine. Yeah, McLovin. That's how we all learn not to hold back when we go to dinner with you. Oh, and you guys don't don't hold back. But you know what? That, in that situation, it's always fun because except
4: that one time at the Italian Dinner Club where we thought the food was free. Yes,
1: because there was no menu, and we all went to town. Oh we, my we still keep, apologize. keep bringing them out! <laughs> yeah,
4: let's get another we plate. In a private room, plates of steak, <laughs> more and anything, more coming. everything. Yeah.
1: So my my wife is Italian, and I I was able to join the this Italian club. Chiriseno in New York. And uh, I, I I joined, but there's no prices affixed to anything. And I bring the Danettes in. First of all, it looked like our gang. It looked like, you know, Alfalfa, the Spanky, no sport coats. You have to wear a sport coat. And I have a sport coat on and a tie. And and the Danettes come rolling in and I go, and you could just see the horror, the look on the bartender in the maitre d's faces like, oh my God, they sent these guys up the back staircase. We had to, you know, they had to go up two floors and then they lent these guys old sport coats and we sit down. Now there's no prices for want- nothing. You're just, you're ordering. And uh, I mean, we had backroom guys, uh, Casey, the so they're all in there. And next thing I know, these guys are just ordering everything and anything. I realized it's gonna cost me. It's a big ticket item here. And uh I didn't tell my wife, <laughs> and she said, How did you spend fifteen hundred dollars? And I go, Well, I brought the 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 you know the whole group. What did they order? And I said, Everything. Pretty much everything, hon. Yeah, Paul. Tirasenio means
4: uh, freeloaders in Italian. I it <laughs> no,
1: up. no, it, it means doesn't. Shoot straight. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, because they have a shooting gallery in the basement. At, it's, it's called the Italian Gun Club. And uh, they actually have a retired police officer who's there and you get to shoot 22s. Yeah, target practice there. It's pretty cool. But uh, Tirasenio. Yes, he. We should go back sometime. Yeah, we should. How about just you and me go back? (laughs) Do I need to bring everybody? We've already experienced that. All right, more phone calls coming up. Uh, I wanted to have Kevin Weeks on. He's a former uh, NHL goaltender, African-American playing hockey, and now I think he might be the first African-American analyst, broadcaster, uh, covering the sport, working for the NHL Network. And he has some stories about what it was like when he was playing. And uh, I wanted to give him that opportunity to uh, share those stories. So he'll join us coming up here. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Glad to have you on board. Whether you're listening, you're uh, watching on youtube.com slash the Dan Show. It's 19 after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. More phone calls coming up. Tony in Chicago joins us. Then we'll uh, bring in Kevin Weeks, the former NHL goalie, NHL Network lead analyst. Hey, Tony. Dan Jones six foot, a Traeger 185. All right. Um, just finding
0: with the uh, Zion Williamson and Reggie Bush connection, how appropriate kind of both are, as I think Reggie Bush really uh, represented the kind of systematic corruption that's happening in the NCAA. I mean, look, we've been laughing, and we've been conditioned to accept it so much that the thought of Coach Kane not knowing about something happening in a program that controls top to bottom, I mean, we just just let it pass and assume, you know, it is just what it is. So just as in society, you know, when certain uh, reforms and penalties haven't worked to change and curb the corruption in college programs, Maybe it's time to disband the NCAA now. Maybe the
1: Well, first opportunity and, that, and that's been mentioned, Tony. Thank you. I brought that up. I wondered if the NCAA was going to be able to uh, withstand what's going on with uh, the coronavirus, believe it or not. I had some smart people say, keep an eye on that, the NCAA's role. I just think you're eventually going to have these Power Five conferences be there. They're going to be college football. And then you're going to have the NCAA govern the rest of these conferences uh, college football teams and other sports there as well just feels like they might secede from the union there but but you know keep in mind reggie bush didn't get an improper benefit from a booster he he got it he signed with an agency he got it from a marketing company he just didn't pay him back so it wasn't like usc said we got to pay him money or a booster to get him to go to usc it just didn't have, have have to happen zion williamson You know, you're one and done. You forced me to go to college, and his parents wanted something, allegedly, and he got a a handout there, the payout there. I certainly understand that. Uh, I just want to know we have to treat Duke the way we're treating everybody else. I think that's the only way to do it. But we have to be fair to the story. Got to be fair to the story and the information. This program brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. The all-new GT four-door coupe. Because life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any of our celebrity interviews this week from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app where you can watch and listen. From inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG Driving Performance. Are we ready for uh, Kevin Weeks? Almost. Almost. Kevin, can you uh,
5: you can hear me? I certainly can, Dan. How are you? Good morning, man.
1: It's good to have you. Let me give you the full introduction here. 11-year career, former goalie, first black analyst in the 91 years of the NHL. And uh, I know you've had some comments on what's going on, Black Lives Matter. And I was curious, in a sport like hockey, mm-hmm. just what it was like playing on a you know night in and night out basis of what kind of racism uh, that you ran into.
5: Yeah, Dan, I think for the listeners and the viewers, uh, more importantly, hope everybody's safe, just to start off there and healthy. Of course, our deepest condolences to the George Floyd uh, Floyd family and others. Um, but in saying that, from my own experience, it was unique because my parents came from beautiful Barbados in the Caribbean. They emigrated to Canada. I was born in Canada. You know what hockey means to Canadian people. And right from when I was six, I aspired to play in the league. First grade, Miss Mahar was my teacher. The first book I wrote, uh, I sketched the NHL logo on the scoreboard. <laughs> my parents have it to this day. Uh, I had myself in goalie equipment, and I knew from then I would, that was my life school to play in the league. But along the way, playing youth hockey in Toronto, for the most part at that time, everybody treated my family and my sister and I well. Once I got to junior, as opposed to playing U.S. college, once I got to junior in Canada, um, I started to see a little bit of a different vibe from some people because I was climbing the ranks, and that happened to be my NHL draft year. So uh, for the most part, my teammates were great. But some opposing players would say uh some things like hey we have there's five brothers that are playing in this game why are we even doing the face off at center ice let's, let's have a jump ball you know that type of stuff and then in addition to uh wow. um you know some fans yelling racial epithets in the stands where my parents would be there and my sister so that was kind of my first kind of encounter with that and then uh you know you had some some odd knucklehead fans around the league uh, and, and there's so many great cities that are leagues in but let's say philly philly's an awesome sports city just down the turnpike from us here. We know that. It's a rich history. But what's weird is you have some people that are cheering for Iverson, AI, the answer, that's our guy. We love AI, we love Elton Brand. And then the next night I'm playing against the Flyers and then some people will be yelling racial epithets. So that was part of the challenge. But ultimately, Dan, um, you know, those things are hurtful. Uh, They they show a lack of class on behalf of the people uh, that do that. But for me, it was about setting my own story, living my dream, uh, taking care of my family, playing in the best league in the world, and being one of 60 goalies on planet Earth at any given time, and sometimes one of one, uh, and being the only black one on planet Earth. So I lived my dream as a player, and I'm doing it now as a broadcaster. Did you ever tell management? Yeah, there were certain instances where you know, I played for some great managers, I think, uh, all told, there's probably 15 Stanley Cup rings between four of the general managers I was privileged to play for. And they're not only Hall of Famers, they're great people. So I've had some really great conversations with Glenn Sather, who was the architect of the Oilers during their reign with Gretzky in the 80s. Um, Also great Lou Lamorello, who ran the Devils here, who I played for, who's now running the Islanders. Uh, Just to name a few, Commissioner Bettman has always been very supportive. I had a great conversation with him this morning, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, Some of the coaches I played for have been excellent. Paul Maurice, John Torchetti. Uh, some other ones, but some of them were really great around that. Especially the aforementioned, they were very helpful and they respected me not only as a player uh, but also as a person. They respected my family, and that that meant a lot to me. Still does to this day.
1: But when you see bananas thrown on the ice, That's, yeah, Kevin, had
5: that, that happen.
1: I mean, we see this in soccer; it's still going on. Yeah, but you're there, and like, how do you react to something like that, or not react to something like that?
5: You know what? That's the thing. That's a great question. I'm going to tell you why. As basic as the question sounds, Dan, you capture the essence perfectly. Because we were playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs against Montreal in 2002. I was with the Carolina Hurricanes, and we're in the Eastern Conference quarterfinal. And you know the history of the Montreal Canadiens. That is the New York Yankees in terms of wins and prestige. That is Manchester United. And just something unique about playing in Montreal, as there would be in playing in Madison Square Garden here in New York. But we lost that game. I was in net. We lost a game 2-1 in overtime. And after the game, there was a banana that rained down. that A fan had thrown at me. Now, here's what's crazy about this. Now, it's 2002, the most prestigious franchise in the league. I have family that lives in Montreal, and this happens in Montreal. So, and we lost the game, by the way. Let's just add that to it. So, we get in the locker room. You know, I'm a little bit upset about it, of course. I just think it's the ultimate human disrespect. And fortunately, our PR guy at the time is still there with the Carolina Hurricanes now, Mike Sunheim. I mentioned Jim Rutherford, who was our then GM, who's the GM of Pittsburgh, and Paul Maurice who was our coach, who coaches Winnipeg. They couldn't have been any nicer, and my teammates couldn't have been any more supportive. Now, the other part of your question is, how did I react? I reacted. I was very patient. I was very diplomatic. Um, I was pointed, but I was uh, I was very diplomatic in how I answered that and how I responded to it. And here's the challenge that I found with that. And a lot of athletes will tell you this. And a lot of people will tell you this too, is the perpetrator. Often they do the act. Then number two, they want to govern how you do or don't respond. If you can, or can't respond three and four, if they choose to like your response or not. So that's kind of unfair. You know, it should never happen in the first place. I think that's the lowest form of class. And you nailed it. You talked about soccer. And I love soccer. I love all sports. I have friends in every league around the world. Uh, You know, I've been to Serie A games in Italy uh, twice. uh, But I, I think the biggest challenge, and I've seen MLS games here in North America, but I think the biggest challenge is all the governing bodies have to have a zero tolerance policy for fans, employees, and players. And it has to be a safe place for everybody in the venue and every sporting venue around the world.
1: Talking to Kevin Weeks, he's a former NHL goalie, spent eleven years in the league, now working for the NHL network, their lead analyst. Your thoughts on Bubba Wallace and I don't know if there's parallels and I don't even want to I don't want to make that leap, but I, I, I'm curious if you see parallels. I don't want to tell you or ask you if you sure. see it or tell you if you do. Do hmm. you see any parallels with what Bubba Wallace is doing in NASCAR?
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, just based on the demographics of NASCAR um, and you know, I, I lived in the southeast for a good part of my career. You know, I played in Miami, I played in uh, in Tampa, I played in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, when I was in the minors. And as I just mentioned, I played in Raleigh for the Carolina Hurricanes in the league. So um, I know how I know the history of NASCAR. I know how passionate the fan base is, and how passionate the fan base has been. Keep in mind, Brad Doherty, as you'd know, had been a voice in NASCAR for years, long after his days in the NBA and his days of being a Tar Heel. Uh, playing at UNC, but I would say this, I certainly understand what he's going through. I do, I understand it's an isolating feeling at times and he's living his dream. He aspired to be a NASCAR driver, he's become one, he's one of the best in the world at his craft, but here's another thing that I do see too. Uh, I do see some of his uh, competitors and fellow racers stepping up and some of them have stepped up in support of him, which is great to see. Um, You know, we do have a lot of people of color that do like NASCAR and quote unquote, non-traditional fans. Like we would have quote unquote non-traditional fans for the NHL as well. Um, but it, it's a, it's a tough road when you're of one at times, it can be a very, very tough road, but I applaud him for what he's doing. I applaud him for having that courage. I applaud some of his fellow drivers for also stepping behind him. And here's the thing, Dan, you know, you, you've had so much success in your career. You've been around as long as you have. I always say that sports should be connective tissue and sports can and and typically is when we're at our best is transcendent there's very few things in the world that can transcend like sports you know music art culture food but at the heart of all that is people it's people one-on-one so whether you're from murfreesboro whether you're from greensboro if you're from talladega if you're from tallahassee uh that doesn't make you any more supreme or any left than anybody else everybody should be made to feel safe and welcome
1: Colin Kaepernick, I don't know if he wants to play. Mm -hmm. And then now you have people who are spokespersons who are saying, hey, we should give him a chance now. Well, nothing's changed with Colin Kaepernick other than the times are changing. I'm wondering about, it feels like tokenism to me, Kevin, that Mm -hmm. nobody wanted him, now let's bring him back. And, like, why not last year or the year before? Um, Your thoughts on Kaepernick, what does he have to lose if he comes back, in your opinion?
5: Well, first of all, I think, and you know this too, again, just based on your experience, I think anytime you're doing something that's unique or that hasn't been done before, uh, and even if it is positive in its spirit, it's not always met with the most appreciation. Now, look at the great Jordan, MJ. I'm an MJ guy to the bone. Unfortunately, I've had a chance to meet him and play in some of his golf events, but they banned his sneakers. (laughs) Like, think about that. They banned their Jordan when it first came out and I'm not trying to trivialize this around a sneaker, but the sneaker was so transcendent and so was he, and then that transcended the sport. Think of the the different people from various backgrounds that grew up loving the sport um, because of him. So if you look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick, it was seen as being rogue. Some people saw it as being extreme. Um, It wasn't well received by a lot of people. And quite frankly, clearly with time, sometimes time has a way of reframing the way in which we see and, and feel about things. And I think that's kind of the case where he's concerned from a perception standpoint, because the atmosphere right now is such that um, we see what's happened. And maybe more people are more attuned and in tune to what's happening based on coronavirus. They're able to process the information from the people I've spoken to, Dan. Weeksy, this is crazy. Weeksy, we never knew this was happening. Weeksy, I played with you. I never knew it was to this extent. Wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah, what yeah. can I do to help? Yeah. So for CAP now, I think the biggest thing for him, and you you asked it off the top, A, does he want to play? If he genuinely wants to play, well, then I always maintain there should be an opportunity for him to play because not every single NFL quarterback on a roster is better than him right now. And I think a lot of that lies with whether or not he wants to play. And then from the owner's standpoint, uh, just to continue to be open-minded and know that if and, if and when he's a fit for a specific team, and he can come and make your team better, then then why not? I don't look at it as a tokenism. I just look at it as an opportunity to, for people to reframe maybe what they thought before. And that's not unique to the owners. We've all had to do that. How much
1: pressure do you think you'd be under if you were playing now to take a knee during the anthem?
5: Uh, I think you'd be, if it were me specifically, in hockey, for example? Yeah. Oh, I think there'd be tons for sure. I think there'd be tons. But I also think that there would be less than there would have been six months ago for the same reason. You know, given the pandemic, people have more capacity to to be uh, more empathetic, more compassionate. They're not necessarily commuting. A lot of people are working remotely from home. And I just feel like the human capacity seems to have expanded some. And and it needs to expand a lot more, quite frankly. But I can tell you, Dan, there's so many NHL people, um, players, coaches, agents, owners. I just had a great conversation with Commissioner Bettman this morning. Um, but so many different people and fans that I've never met before that are sending messages of support.
1: Yeah. I just wonder in that
5: that sport. Yeah.
1: I wonder that sport though, Kev, if, if, if you, if you took a knee, I don't know if an African-American,
5: less so now than six months ago, for sure. For that very reason. Yeah. For that very reason. It's great to have you on. You know, I, I, it. I appreciate thank you so much been a long time fan. Thanks for having me.
1: Yes. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate your time. Good luck. That's Kevin Weeks, former NHL goalie, NHL lead analyst there. We'll take a break. Last call for phone calls back after this in the Dan Patrick show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine until noon, Eastern six to nine Pacific on Fox sports radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio radio app at FSR, or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. A lot of reaction, good reaction to Kevin Weeks, things he had to say. Don't credit me, credit him, he had the things to say. I just set them up, hopefully they knock him down. Uh, this day in sports history coming up, by the way, it's happy 23rd, food poisoning, altitude sickness, flu game for Michael Jordan. Just doesn't have the same ring. Why not just leave it at the flu? I still don't understand that. Just leave it that you had the flu. We were good with that. Food poisoning. I know it sounds a little espionage-ish there. Oh, so they were trying to they were trying to poison Jordan there. Flu. All right. Food po- poisoning sounded better from the beginning. They tried to poison Jordan in Utah flu and you know altitude sickness because Air Jordan cannot get altitude sickness bad for the brand bad for the brand Uh, Kevin Weeks was talking about the NBA banned the first uh, edition of Air Jordan because they were black and red no white and that's the famous David Letterman line Uh, no white in them just like the NBA when Jordan was on the show and he was showcasing his uh, original Air Jordans there uh, this day in sports history, what do you have, pulling?
4: Pretty good one, Dan. Johnny Vandermeer, two words, Vandermeer, 1938 Cincinnati Reds pitcher, threw consecutive no-hitters, back-to-back starts. That seems like a record that won't be broken.
1: We've had some, I think we've had a no-hitter and then a seven or six-inning no-hitter follow up with a pitcher. Yeah.
4: But uh, that one's that pretty safe. Yeah, it's pretty tough. At age 41, Nolan Ryan in 1990 became the oldest player to throw a no-hitter. It was the sixth of his career. I think he had one more, didn't I he? I think so. I think he had seven. 2010, Dan, ESPN launched ESPN 3D. Hey. Remember when 3D was real popular for like a minute and a half? Yes. We, we remember we did a – didn't we do a show in 3D? Dallas.
3: Super yes. Bowl. We did one of those in 3D. <laughs> yeah. That's at, where, at
1: least one of those. That's where the boss comes in and he goes, hey, you got to help me out here. And I said, I'll help you out. You tell me. He goes, We're going to do a 3D show. And I go, Uh, I don't know how I can help you. Just go along with it, all right? It's a 3D show. Five Just guys sitting
4: motionless talking sports in 3D.
3: One of the uh, many ways we've made history on this show. Yes, yes, Tom.
4: you got to start exaggerating every movement with your pen or your head or <laughs> every body thing has to make it look like it's coming at you.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're almost in my living room. Uh, you know what? We were throwing snowballs, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, all the, and we were, like, throwing the football around and stuff like that. I remember that. I know I've been in colder weather but i've been prepared for that colder weather i was not expecting that cold weather in dallas oh. that was that's what made it even colder and it was 11 degrees when we woke up and it was it was freezing rain and sleet and highways were shut down and our set was outside and i remember that i got a heater that you know, supplied a little bit of heat. We didn't even have jackets. We weren't even ready for any of this, and uh, so we had to go out and get jackets and get gear. And and that was that was a uh, tough little week there. And De- I mean, we made the most of it because you guys always do. But that was some cold, cold weather. Yeah, McLevin. The problem was there was six
4: inches of ice underneath our feet at all times. I know, so you couldn't get a get away. Oh, it was
1: so bad. And there was a cab strike, so you couldn't get a taxi anywhere in this. You had to walk yeah, everywhere. Yeah, we had to walk everywhere. Yeah. Somehow made it work. Uh, Ed in Kentucky. Hi, Ed. What do you have for me today?
3: Uh, I'm, how are you doing? Good, Ed. Hey, I love the show, um, but I've heard you say it more than once. Zion was forced to go to college. I just, I don't get it. I've heard other people say it. Well, he
1: could have gone, gone to Europe. I mean, he couldn't have gone to the NBA, Ed. That, no, but he wasn't forced. I know, but he couldn't it. go to the NBA. He, 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 he could have gone to Europe. He could have gone to Australia. He could have gone to the G League. You're right. So he wasn't forced to go to school, literally, but uh, he couldn't have gone to the NBA. So what's your point? And that's it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I know he wasn't literally forced to go to college, but what were his options? He got to go to college. He, ha- he had to go to college or he had to do something for one year before he went to the NBA.
3: Apparently, you make a hell of a lot more money going to college,
1: too, than you would have in the G League. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a valid point there. I thought Ed was going to be like, hey, I'm glad somebody is uh, mentioning this story because if this was Kentucky, and, but that wasn't the case. Ed wanted me to know that nobody's forced to go to college.
4: Paulie? As I say, Zaya may have taken a pay cut going to the Pelicans. No. If you look at some of the details. Well, no, I don't know about that. I didn't. Mm, I can't say it. No, don't. No. Well, don't say that you can't say it. But- I worked with an analyst who played college football once. And this analyst went from college football right to the USFL. And he joked with the room going, uh, yeah, the USFL was great, but I was making more in college. Hmm.
1: So let me see. <laughs> who did Paulie work for? Long time ago. <laughs> well, it's USFL. Yeah. He played in the USFL. I could probably figure this out. That's fun. But I I
4: shouldn't. The only hint would be his school was mentioned on the show today.
1: SMU. Could be. Well, we mentioned that. There you go. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Uh, I don't think I
4: could tell. I don't think it wouldn't be a surprise if you found out this guy.
1: Well, I know that there was a guy who was an analyst at the mothership who played in the USFL.
4: This guy's a pretty famous guy. Famous college football player. Pretty pretty famous pro player. And he went from a college known for... Not Craig James. This day in sports history, Dan. <laughs> did I hit that? Uh, Babe Ruth did something. Yeah. I know. Non-denial denial. Yeah.
2: Babe Ruth did something. I guess MU
1: didn't even try to hide it. It was just it was just blatant. They had a dollar th- <laughs> th- sign through the
4: S on their helmets. <laughs>
1: Joe in Wisconsin. Hi, Joe. What do you have for me today?
3: Hey, Dan. Second time. Long time. 5'10", a dirty 148. Hey. Uh, i got a couple quick ones. Uh, quick shout-out to my sister. It's her birthday, arena here in Wisconsin. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this app. It's called, uh, I think it's Cameo. And you can pay a celebrity to send a shout-out yep. to somebody, so I had uh, I go and search the Cubs, she's a big Cubs fan, go on there, I see Kyle Farnsworth, so I got uh, 30 bucks, got Kyle Farnsworth to say <laughs> happy birthday to my sister so that was pretty cool Hey, and hey then, Joe, uh, Joe,
1: what, what's your sister's name? Reenie. Reenie. I'll do it for free Yep, also a big fan uh, And uh, Wait, Joe, I was going to do it now Yep that's all In, use, in 3, 2, 1 Rini. I just want to say happy birthday. I hope you have many, many more happy birthdays. And Joe didn't pay for this. I did this on my own.
3: Thanks, Dan. And then uh, i got one more for you. My wife is expecting to have a baby. We're expecting. And uh, she's a week late, so we're going in tomorrow to get induced with our first baby, a little baby girl. So any advice you have for me and her along the way? Shut I up. Don't, I don't think I'm going to be playing catcher. I'm Joe, gonna be, uh, in the out-
1: here's my advice, and I'll let you go. Shut up. Don't say anything. Be quiet. Just be there. Don't talk. You're going to get yelled at. Oh, are you going to get yelled at? You're going to get yelled at and you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Todd, what did you learn on today's program?
3: I learned you think there's still a chance the MLB season can get underway before the NBA. Now.
1: Yeah, I never would have thought that, but here we are. Uh, McLovin, what did you learn today?
4: I learned uh, the Torkelson joke I stole from Todd did not work. Mm-hmm.
1: But at least Todd didn't say you it. You need the torque,
4: you know, when
0: you're sweating. Uh, Sean
1: O'Connor. Cody in Tennessee, best, best guest of the week. Yeah, Cody was awesome. Paul? Cody, the SEC punter. Well done. War Eagle. No, it's not War Eagle. What we learned brought to you by LegalZoom. LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan at LegalZoom.com. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Be safe. One more item as we close out the show. You've heard me talk about this company, Raycon. It was founded by Ray J and uh, celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy. They are obsessed with Raycons. And I just got my pair. So now I'm obsessed. Every day, they're called the everyday E25 earbuds. Best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, more compact design, and you get that noise-isolating fit, that nice noise-isolating fit that's so important, and it's perfect. Comfortable, perfect for conference calls, video chat.